0: Hey everyone, this is Steve Bowes. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour show. If you're listening to this show right before or around Thanksgiving, we do want to say for myself and Trish McFarlane, have a very wonderful Thanksgiving. Today's show is a fantastic one. It's one of our favorite guests making his third appearance on the HR Happy Hour show. HR legend, really the godfather of modern HR, Dave Ulrich joins us on today's HR Happy Hour show. We had a great conversation with Dave around his new book, Reinventing the Organization, and talked about organizations and strategies and talent and so much more. Dave's just a wonderful man, a wonderful guest, and we're so happy that he joined us uh, on the show. We also want to thank our friends at People Strategy, today's sponsor, for intuitive hire to retire HR technology to comprehensive benefits consulting and HR services people strategy offers employers a single source for the tools and services necessary to attract manage and retain talent a full service broker people strategy works with clients to identify competitive benefits packages to meet the needs of employees their families and their company's financial obligations People Strategy also provides clients with a technology suite that simplifies recruiting, hiring, onboarding, payroll, payroll taxes, open enrollment, benefits administration, time and attendance, compliance reporting, and more. One provider, one low price. Let People Strategy help you develop your people strategy. Learn more at peoplestrategy.com. All right, that's it. Once again, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the HR Happy Hour show with guest Dave Aldrich. Here we go. Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bowes. I am joined by, of course, Trish McFarland. Trish, how are you?
1: I'm good, Steve. How are you doing today?
0: I am fantastic. It's the first show we've done in a little while. We haven't been in the same place. We're we're back uh, doing the remote recording after a a long run of travel and events.
1: I know. You know what? It's such a luxury when we get to do them um, face-to-face. Those are always fun. But I have to admit, it's nice to be back home, and I have no qualms about doing this from my home office. So,
0: right. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> I that
1: We're not together, if that Yeah,
0: me fun. too. I was just uh, listening back to some of the shows we've recorded, and you know, the, it's always good to be on the road. So I was listening to the one we did in New York City with uh, Don Weinstein from ADP, and oh, faintly in the background, we hear the New York City sirens and, and <laughs> going on. Right, it was pretty funny.
1: But, well, uh, or you know, the ones that we do in front of a live audience. I mean. And obviously, we love getting the applause and the interaction yeah, that is with the cool. audience. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah it cool. is kind of nice being able to just. I'll uh, admit, I'm sitting here in a t-shirt right now, which is good. I don't have to be fancy. I think <laughs> I, mean, I, have a, I'm, I probably haven't brushed my hair yet today. Truth be told, so it's mm-hmm. uh, it's nice to do an actual podcast once in a while.
0: All right, so. <laughs> couple quick uh couple quick updates we have a fantastic guest waiting in the wings uh returning for I believe his third appearance on the HR Happy Hour show and we'll bring him on in a second but just yeah keep it locked in we've Trish, I don't know what number show this is going to be. It might be number 400 or it's close to it. So we're excited about I that. Think it is. Yeah, we've done some great I'm shows how appropriate lately.
1: appropriate to have such a big guest on the 400th show. You know,
0: we should organize that then so this one is number 400. I'll have to I I'll have to look at the schedule. But uh
1: I mentioned just this is just for our guests kind of knowledge. Um apparently we do have a gift now for five times on the show. We so do. we just had a five-time uh, attendee on the show, guest on the show. And, uh, do you, Steve, do you want to say what our five-time gift is?
0: It is a set of steak knives. Yes. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very nice gift. And uh,
1: incentive.
0: yeah, we'll get That's that great. out soon. But uh, real quick, uh, we're booking shows Trish we're into next year, 2020. So mm-hmm. I think we're, I think we're pretty much tied up for the rest of this year with shows, but if you have an idea, a topic or a guest you'd like for us to consider, tweet at us at HR happy hour or send us an email. Steve at H3HR.com or Trish at H3HR.com. The Alexa show, Trish, still going strong. I did one yesterday, I think. Uh, Check out the HR Happy Hour show on your Alexa device. Just search for the HR Happy Hour skill. And this show is sponsored by our friends at People Strategy. We want to thank them very much for their support of the HR Happy Hour show. All right, Trish, enough nonsense. Our guest is waiting patiently and let's bring him on. Our guest returning... To the HR Happy Hour Show for his third appearance, Dave Ulrich. Dave is the Rensis-Likert Collegiate Professor of Business Administration at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and a partner at the RBL Group, a consulting firm focused on helping organizations and leaders deliver value. He has published over 30 books and 200 articles and book chapters that have shaped current thinking about the ability of leadership to deliver results of organizations to build capabilities, and of human resources to create value. In 2012, he was recognized with a Lifetime Achievement Award by HR Magazine for being the father of modern human resources. Dave, welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. It is great to have you.
2: It is so delightful to be back, but I now have a goal to get a set of steak knives, so uh, <laughs> we'll get I, you have right. a, I have a new goal. I yeah, uh, Absolutely. I thought I was a preferred speaker, but I find out I'm not. So. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's great. It's great to be back again.
0: It's great to have you. It's so. It's such a pleasure. And uh, it's been a couple of years since uh, you were on, and uh, it's just great to have you back. The steak knives, yeah, that's a that's a highly sought after gift. And
1: a little we, on the fly, I, we have to admit that just happened with uh, with Don from with Don from today. Yeah. So he, he was asking if there was a jacket that you know you would get. So I don't know. Maybe we need to go the jacket route. Who knows? But um, anyway, yeah, we're so nice. glad to have you back.
2: I'm I'm delighted to be back, and it was fun to listen to the two of you banter. Uh, uh, so I feel like I'm intruding here in something yeah. that's more uh, more intimate. So I no. hate to, I hate to intrude, but we I'm delighted crazy, to have a conversation. Oh, no, Dave,
0: you're you no, know, we're so glad to have you. It's been a crazy run. You know, we're kind of just decompressing a little bit. The two of us, we've had a really just crazy run of travel and events, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're a little punch drunk still from from it all. I think I am anyway. But um, uh, Dave. Uh, Great to have you back. We are going to talk about a number of things today. But first, definitely want to mention at the top your latest book that you co-authored with uh, Arthur Young, uh, Reinventing the Organization, How Companies Can Deliver Radically Greater Value in Fast-Changing Markets. And we'll make sure we uh, link that out to the show notes. Maybe we'll start off, Dave, you know, 30 books, hundreds and hundreds of articles, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you could have probably taken on any subject, right, when you decided it's time to time to, to sit down and start working on a new book. Um, why this one? Why reinventing the organization? And what was kind of the impetus that, that took you down this path?
2: Uh, we love research, uh, both empirical research and qualitative research. In, in one of our last big studies, and it was a previous book called Victory Through Organization, we're always interested not in the activity but the outcome of the activity. So it's not, do you have a competence? It's does the competence lead to outcomes that you care about? And so we were worried about business results, obviously, winning in the marketplace with customers and investors. And in the previous book we did, we had research from about 30,000 people in 1,200 companies. And we did a simple study. On the one hand, if you hold up five fingers, we looked at talent. Do you have good people? Do they have skills? Are they having a good experience? And on the other hand, as a fist, we looked at the quality of the organization. Do you have the right culture? Do you have the right capabilities for serving customers, for innovation, for change? And we took those two dimensions and said, which of those two has the biggest outcome on business results? And we were somewhat shocked at the findings. It was 80-20 organizations. And so this war for talent is one victory through the organization. And so it became clear to us that the HR field for 20 years has been guided by the war for talent. But we wanted to re-pivot a little bit and get HR folks and business leaders focused on how do you create the organization? Because that's where real victory comes from.
0: Right. So Dave, this was kind of an outgrowth then of the last book and the last set of research you did to kind of dive in a little bit more deeply into well, just what does that mean, right? How do organizations need to um orient themselves or or for lack of a better word, organize, right? In order to uh take on these challenges and and particularly in in with change, right? We we talk about change in the environment and business and technology and, and people have never uh, been changing more rapidly, and how do organizations adapt to it? I, I wonder. You know, is is it even possible for large organizations to to keep up? And, and what did uh, when you studied many big organizations as part of this book? Uh, what what did you find from some of the leading organizations and how they're able to sort of adapt and 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 keep up when, when things are changing so quickly?
2: Great set of questions. So with the premise, HR, and it would be interesting to go back through your 400 podcasts, what percent of them are focused on people, the talent, the experience, the employee, and what percent are focused on the organization as a system? Our research finds that generally HR is enamored with people, and yet it's the organization that matters. So we wanted to say, what are some of the iconic neo-organizations, and what are they doing to make this work? to build the right organization. And we came across a fascinating metaphor um, that I actually stumbled across. And it's the story that we use to kind of capture the idea of the book. And then we have all kinds of details. But about a year or two ago, there was a woman on the beach in Florida with her two sons and her mother. Her eight and 10-year-old sons got caught in a riptide. And the big riptide is pulling them out to the ocean. Trish or, or Steve, have either of you ever been in a riptide? I have not.
1: I have not either, but I've I've seen someone in one. It's Very scary. Very I mean,
2: powerful. scared to death. Right. So the the mother jumps in, the grandmother jumps in, five people from the beach jump in. Must be a strong riptide, and 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 it's scary. They're in trouble. Within two or three minutes, eighty people joined arms, strangers, and they formed a chain three hundred meters long and they saved the nine people. Well, what an incredible story. And when Arthur Young, who's really the lead thinker on this and I saw that, we said, that's what organizations have to be able to do. As you so appropriately said, Steve, the world is changing, we all know that. And what worked in the past won't work in the future, we all know that. So how do you create an organization that has the ability to recognize a challenge or an opportunity, in the swimmer's case, a challenge, Immediately put together resources, in this case 80 people, and 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 respond. And so we started looking at large successful companies who've done that. And what we found that, and I'm almost done with this diatribe, I could go forever. We found that a lot of people had studied pieces and parts. There's a book on accountability, there's a book on teamwork, there's a book on strategy, there's a book on agility, there's a book on customer. Mm-hmm. Almost nobody had put together the puzzle. Everybody's got a part running around the room looking for, where does this fit? We wanted to create the framework and the puzzle of what are all the integrated puzzle pieces that allow these iconic firms to succeed. So we studied some firms in China, Tencent, Alibaba, Huawei, big successful firms that seem to be doing that, that startup enterprise at scale. And in the U.S., Amazon, Google, Facebook. And and we tried to discern from them, not just here's a really cool idea at Amazon. They have two pizza meetings or here's their teamwork or here's their the way they hire people. We wanted to provide the overall integrated solution to building an organization that wins. And that's that's what we were trying to write about. By the way, that's rather ambitious, but it's that again, it's that 80% of business success comes from your organization. How do you do that in an integrated way?
1: You know, the thing that strikes me, Dave, as you're speaking, is just that this is the exact reason that you have um, sort of the place in our our heads and our hearts from an industry perspective, because you are thinking ahead. I don't, I don't, think I've ever heard anyone sort of putting it together this way, and I love your example of sort of the you know the fingers versus the fist and and you're right, you have to have that macro look at how these things all work in concert and and we aren't doing that very well so i'm I'm actually really excited to kind of see where this goes. I know that this is just kind of you said your you know your first foray into sort of kind of making this shift to think of it this way, but it feels like there could be so many good um, not just examples in this book, but like even future books or future, you know, talks um, where you really continue to dive into sort of that overall look at how the puzzle pieces fit together. I'm, I'm just blown away. I'm making notes like crazy. So, thank you. Well, for- I,
2: I really thank appreciate you. that. I mean, it's it's really fascinating to see. And and somebody just sent me a note and said, "Dave, your book's out. How's it doing? This book's not going to sell thousands and hundreds of thousands of copies." The the books that sell thousands of copies are very personal. Uh, the Seven Habits of People, The sure. Expressing Gratitude, a great new book by Chester uh, Chester Elton. This book is about rethinking how you create an organization. And, and And it's not just about the piece. There's some great new books on teamwork. How do you get a high-performing team? That's cool. But if you do teams without understanding the environmental context, the strategy, the capabilities you're trying to build and the other governance mechanisms around talent, accountability, and ideas, you're going to have a good team, but it's, it's standing out there by itself. It's a, it's a great athlete trying to win the game all by him or herself. And so Arthur and I, and by the way, that's a fairly ambitious agenda are trying to create an integrated solution to building a more effective organization. That's, that's our ambition. Um, And then, and then to ground it, and, and it's interesting. We love research. The research that this is kind of drawn from has 30,000 people, 1,200 businesses. But in this case, we went deep into, uh, into eight companies to figure out what are they doing. So it's not one company. There's a great book coming out, and um, I probably shouldn't even say this, but it's about Amazon, and it's by Ram Charan, who I think is one Our of the – Our old
0: friend, <laughs> Trish Ram. Yes.
2: Oh, man. I bet he's got a set of steak knives. Uh, <laughs> And he should, by the way, I'm embarrassed. I was just asked to endorse Rahm's book that will be out soon. And it goes deep into Amazon, who was one of our eight cases. And to be honest, he does an incredible job. He's got six building blocks of what Amazon did. It's just an incredibly good book. In fact, I said to Arthur, oh man, it's probably written better than ours, but it's one case study. And we tried to get an eight case study so that we could give you a little bit more integrated solution to what's going on. And, I'm not sure we've got it right, but I think we're trying to move the field in HR to say, I'm an HR person, I come into a business meeting, question one, which we've asked for 20 years, do we have the right talent? The latest incultation of that is, do you have a great experience for your employees, often through technology, which we could get into in a huge way? Because I know you guys have done so much great work about that. But that's only a piece. And in our research, that's not the piece that will drive business results the most. So When an HR person or a business leader says, do we have the right organization? And they say today, the big buzzword is culture. That is a critical puzzle piece. Do you have the right culture? But how does culture fit with this integrated solution? And that's what we're trying to offer uh, business leaders and, and HR advisors.
0: Yeah, Dave. I think it's a it's a really interesting way and an important way to look at it because I love the, the the story in the book about uh, it's not a story; it's a true thing. the The folks who who banded together to save the uh, the swimmers caught out in the rip tide. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself and other organizations I've worked in in the past, where right the, the metaphor of that kind of a crisis or an opportunity even doesn't have to be a crisis, right? It could be an opportunity. But in order to seize on it, you you'd have to move that quickly, that rapidly, that organically. And I just think. Just about everywhere I've ever worked, it, it wouldn't have happened, right? Because well, or or, we didn't or it happened, or you know, there would yeah. have been lots of meetings before we decided to form the chain of people, right?
2: Or it happens, Steve, in a crisis. Uh, the electricity goes out. Uh, there's a crisis in Illinois or Concord or wherever you are, and the utility companies break all the rules, they break all the hierarchy, and they send in hundreds of excellent people, and they solve it. Yeah. And then when it's done, they take a deep breath. Oh, now we can go back to what we've really done. Well, that's not that's not solving the problem. That's me trying to lose weight by having a fad diet. By the way, I've tried that. Um, <laughs> and I've had the best diets from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day. Uh, but, but those diets don't sustain. Arthur and I wanted to say, how do you get an organization like Tencent or Alibaba or Google or Facebook or uh, – Amazon, to literally sustain that capacity to go in and out of opportunities quickly. And that's what we were trying to uh, discover. Yeah.
0: Dave, what are some of the things maybe that you found then from this group of companies? And, know, and
2: what- By the way, I'm interrupting you. I've interrupted you twice. I get that's so excited about you're the, this.
0: You're stuff. the guest. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead.
2: <laughs> I get so excited. And I'll try to keep it fairly simple because I like simple questions. One, you've got to understand the environment in which you work. Uh, content is king you got to have good content but the context is the kingdom and and if you don't understand the context of change for example you, you the two of you and many 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 other thoughtful people the context of the future of work is technology technology is changing the world and i don't know if there's any firm that is not unchanged because of technology uh we could talk about that because technology gives digital information so in that changing world, number two, do we understand that context? Do we anticipate it? Do we see it? Are we not threatened by it? Or do we see the changing context as an opportunity, number one? Number two, do we have a strategy? Strategy is not, uh, my friend Gordon Hewitt calls it the away day, where we go off to a hotel, we talk about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and then we go home and pretend it didn't happen. That's not strategy. Strategy is building a transformation and agility to respond to those environmental opportunities. Third, does our strategy transfer? I'm going to give five things real quick. Third, okay. does our strategy transfer into what we call capabilities? An organization is not just a morphology and structure. It's things they're good at doing. Disney is so good at customer experience. Uh, Marriott is good at that. Apple is so good at innovation. Amazon is so good at the distribution. Do we have the capabilities to win? Number four, are we building the right structure? Because structure does sustain change. And, and again, I could go into great detail, but it's not about a hierarchy that's slow to respond. And it's not even about a set of systems. That's an internal focus. We've come up with an idea of structure called market-oriented. So you're focused outside in ecosystem or a network. By the way, our publisher said, find us a cute word, exponential, holocracy." <laughs> and we said, we don't need any cute words. I'm I'm at an age where I've not been Over called acronym, cute. Right. Yep. Yeah, cool. I'm not of an age where I'm going to be ever called cute. And so we called it market-oriented, which is what it is. It's opportunities in that market, like the, the crisis with swimmers. It's an ecosystem. It's not one piece. It's a, It's a holding company with people connected to each other. Build a platform, build an ecosystem. And then number five, create governance mechanisms that make it work. This is talent, right people, right place, right experience, uh, performance accountability, right accountability, culture, collaboration, idea generation, uh, and obviously leadership. So start with the environment, start outside, have a good strategy to respond, have the right capabilities that embed that strategy. Have the right governance, pro- have the right structure, and then have the right governance processes. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But, but when that comes together, a company like Tencent and Alibaba, what's fascinating with these companies we studied, uh, their average age is 20 years old, and their average market value is 450 billion US dollars. I just, I just take my breath away. Whoa. And and everybody says, well, what's the smallest company? One of the companies we studied was Supercell, a game company. Their market value is only $10 billion, but they have 213 employees. <laughs> and so from a small company like Supercell started in 2010 to Amazon, those five areas have been adapted and really have created companies that are sustainable. It's not a single event. Those eighty those eighty rescuers never saw each other again. We want to take that idea and scale it so it's sustainable over time.
0: Dave, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, this the market oriented or market oriented ecosystem is helpful. The models helpful for us to understand this because this feels like it could be really really complex, especially for a large organization. And I actually thought it was really interesting the case study or, or, or on Supercell actually felt maybe that was like the, the one to read first almost, right? Because yep, yep. It, it's a smaller company and they've kind of organically grown, but they they kind of done it in such a way that that fits a lot of these uh, themes that you're talking about. And it's been very, very successful for them, but it's also a little bit relatable. I think it can be difficult sometimes to think about if you're an HR or a business leader at a really big established company or just an established company. doesn't have to be that big, really. That's got years and years or perhaps decades of of just... Hierarchy and process and rules and and just the way we do things around here to think about how how can we how can we start making these changes? So I guess two questions: one is is, is for the for a bigger or more established company, how might you approach um, adapting or experimenting with some of these recommendations? And and then secondly would be um, uh, for a smaller organization, uh, you know, how do you, how does it work in terms of you know deciding this is the way we're going to do things from the ground up?
2: And the answer is I'm not exactly sure. How's that for an honest answer? Good. I like that. Um, yeah, I'm not either. That's
0: why I asked. <laughs>
2: that's, well, and and let me tell you what that means for us. And, and as you know, we've done studies of HR competencies. We've done seven rounds of research uh, over 30 years with tons of data. We're starting the next study in November. And the question we have is ex- almost exactly that question. So we know that organization matters more than people. Got it. So what does that mean if I'm an HR professional in a plant in Buenos Aires? What does that mean if I'm an HR professional representing the country of Spain? What does that mean to build the right organization at whatever level in the organization? So a lot of people say, well, you get into strategy and capability and structure. That's for them to do. Those folks up there, wherever mm-hmm. up there is. Um, we're going to study what set of knowledge and skills and activities do hr people need to do to enable line managers they're the owners to build the right organization at whatever level you live and so we're beginning to work with uh, our partners to identify the questions one of the and, and we don't have the research yet so I'll be honest we're learning to do the research one of the things i think that we're going to find is that when an hr person and envision the the setting comes into a business meeting in a plant or in a, a site or in a country or in a business unit, what do, does he or she carry in their head about what they should pay attention to? Right now, a lot of HR people are, have the unconscious bias or the framework. Let's think about people. Who do we hire? How do we train? How do we develop? How do we move them in? How do we give them a good experience? What we want to have people carry in their head is a little more complex model that says, yes, I do care about people, but I also care about organization. And here's the questions, the similar questions in organization. What's our culture? What's our accountability process? What's our system for, uh, for managing people? How do we manage information? How do we build the right capabilities? And to have a mental checklist that looks at three things. One is people, which many HR people do well today. The other is organization. And then for us, the integrating factor is leadership. What set of knowledge and skills do our leaders need to have? So we're starting to do research that will help us say to that HR person in whatever location they're at, don't walk away from your people agenda. Do not walk away from that because it's so critical. But add to that agenda a way of thinking about organization and i think that would apply to a big company reinventing itself okay. or a small company trying to invent itself so for example steve your company is about 10 years old is that right
0: uh yeah, i guess so trish right that would yeah. be yeah okay.
2: i should say steve and trish i apologize no you're fine I mean, how critical <laughs> Just is it? Let's
0: be very clear. Trish is the CEO of the company. So I want... I, I stand. Everybody on... By the way,
2: I work. am so embarrassed, Steve, because I thought you were... <laughs> now, some of that, I'm. my wife's a psychologist. So I'm now going to have to go do a self-assessment. Oh, do, no, I have no, an, no. do I have an unconscious gender bias? I hope I don't. You um, do And I hope I don't. So, Trish, how critical is people to your company? And the answer is absolutely. I assume you're a smaller company. Right. And... Anyone you hire is critical. But the questions I'd have in my head if I were coaching you is Have I built a culture so that our reputation in the marketplace is right? Am I sourcing information so that the podcasts we do and the information we do are giving our clients information that's valuable to them? Do we have an accountability system? And I'm going to keep going without changing that. Do we have an accountability system that allows us to get the right behaviors that are incented over time? So when my employee, Steve, does work, is he doing work in a way that's motivating for him? And, and and I come to that question, not just to get great people, but to get the system that enables those great people to be successful over time. That's what I hope we can teach HR yeah. folks to begin to do.
1: You know, that makes a lot of sense for me, Dave, especially I think it's maybe, I guess I have a comment and a question. So my comment is, it seems like, you know, I've worked in really large organizations and down to just, you know, the smaller one we're in now. Um, it seems easier to manage when it's smaller because as a business owner, you you have to do sort of those macro um, looks at your company and your your clientele. And do you, I guess two things, do you find that as companies scale that maybe that's where some of that gets lost because you wind up having you know, certain people only focused on certain pieces of this bigger puzzle. And then, I guess my second question is more of where do you see, or does your research show that whether you're an HR leader or just you know a business leader, maybe it's your your CFO or your COO or whatnot, is there a uh, an amount of time, I guess, as you as you sort of go up the the chain of command um, and have greater responsibilities, where you need to sort of have more of your time spent on that macro look versus, you know, just focusing on the people, for example, um, have you found that, or is that something you're digging into? I guess those, uh, are those two things.
2: Other the second one first, I think we're digging into it. What I'm hoping is that the importance of the organization at a plant level, again, if I go back to that metaphor, is just as powerful as the enterprise level, but it's a different set of questions. At the plant level, it's bringing individuals together into a high-performing team. At the organization level, it's bringing organizational pieces together into a high-performing enterprise. And I would assume that at both of those levels, the the whole is more than the parts. And so uh, we're going to try to dig into what that means in practice and how that begins to apply. I, uh, we're really intrigued with... Where does an organization win in the marketplace? And so, let me take your first comment and and tell you a, an approach that we hope HR people begin to get, especially in some ways with technology. And I'll try to do it around leadership. Um, we've done it with HR for thirty years, and I think we're now shifting to leadership and then organization. So, a lot of companies have a competency model, and they say here's the ten skills of a leader, and we do a three hundred and sixty. And I get two or three columns of results. Column one is my mean score. Setting a vision. Steve, zero to 10. How well does Trish set a vision? Uh, 10. 10, oh, good, good, good answer. answer.
1: Good answer. Let's, <laughs>
2: let's give her a 10. How well does she execute strategy? Eight. How well does she manage people? Seven. How well does she uh, have personal integrity? Nine. And you get a column and you say, I did a 360 and here's Trish's scores. The second column is equally important. It's the standard deviation. Um, cause it tells me how much variance there is in how you're seen. The third column is the global success scores. So Trish gets a seven in, can't remember what it was, uh, building teams, right? The global standard is eight. So she's one point below and that's what we do. And then, and then a leader says, here's my agenda to move forward. We think what's critical is the next set of columns. What is it Trish and her company is worried about? Customers, investors, employee engagement. So now let's add a column called customers and let's say which of those 10 leadership competencies has the biggest impact on customer. That's actually an interesting question because mm-hmm. it's not just the competence. It's the impact of the competence on an outcome that we care about or which has impact on investor in a large company that outside in logic so that it's not about our competencies, it's their impact on what we care about, is where we think organization needs to go. For example, culture. There's so much hot work now going on. Hot is not probably the right word, but attention being paid to culture. and And we've been pushing that. But the definition of most companies is your culture is the roots of your tree. It's your DNA, it's your heritage. We would take issue with that. I would pivot to say, Culture is the leaves of your tree, because the column I'm interested in in culture is not describing what we do, but what elements of our culture will get customers to buy more products from us, for example, and, and, and the examples are legion, but um, I have three kids, we have three kids and we have grandkids, we have 10 grandkids under 10. Our kids decided that we, quote unquote, would do a Disney experience this year. So we do a Disney cruise that costs us the, oh, and by the way, when it's quote unquote, we will do a Disney experience, mom and dad will pay for us right. doing a Disney experience. Right. So, uh, of course. So, so I'm kind of grouchy because we're going <laughs> to put off, buying a new car and, uh, and do a Disney experience. And, and it's expensive. Disney is very expensive. Uh, and so we get on the board and they say, oh, this is the happiest place on earth. And I'm going, yeah, right. Not for me. I, I wanted a car. Um, and so I'm grouchy. And the first night we're sitting at dinner, our three granddaughters from different children, 10, 9, and 7. <laughs> I'll get her most emotional now. Cinderella comes up to the table oh. and touches them on the head. <laughs> and just imagine this, oh. this beautiful Cinderella that they'd read about in papers. They'd watch the videos. And our granddaughters are looking at her with awe. And they turn around, they say, Grandpa, she's real and she's beautiful. And then they look at me and they go, Grandpa, thank you. And I go, ah, crap. I'm going to have to do this again. Three years before we get a new car. Now, I'm joking about the car. But it hit me. They have built a culture at Disney that works. Because I am so delighted to give our grandchildren that experience and to feel that magic. And it was magical. It was incredible that we're willing to pay a premium to have that. Well, that's what a culture is. A culture is not, oh, our values are, they're on the wall, they're part of the founder's agenda. No, the culture is what that customer experiences that causes them to come back again and again and again. Well, that's where we want to move this organizational logic. Not an internal view. That's why we start with the environment, but an outside in view. And when we do that, the HR agenda of building a culture is literally enmeshed with the business agenda of creating that organization that wins in the marketplace. Okay, that's a long diatribe. But that Cinderella story happened a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, happened in August. And it was so telling for me, they, Disney, and and they're not the only company that does that dozens, and hundreds of companies have taken this idea of organization and woven it into their fabric. We want to help HR people consult and enable their business leaders to do that across companies. Yeah, That's a long answer. I'm sorry, Trish, that's a very long answer and example to your question.
1: No, you know, I, I, first of all, I'm, one of the biggest Disney um, fans and believers, because of my own children. So you're telling your story. I'm like literally getting goosebumps because it's reminding me of like those little magic moments. You have at least one every single time you go. And my my twins are getting ready to turn 16 next month, and they still like going to Disney because of those moments it grow it sort of grows with them too. It's not you know even once they know that Cinderella is is just someone in a costume. So I think you're right about the way that that you know, the culture is so important, but it is, it's how it's woven into the way the business runs. And as you were speaking about it, I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, maybe, maybe this idea of focus on organizational impact, are just now ready for that. Because when I think back to a few years ago, when, you know, you were, I think the first person talking about, you know, being a business partner and you know, I was an HR leader at the time, and I, it, that was a whole different way of thinking about things, right? And and learning to speak more the language of the business, and really understand and and be seen as that trusted advisor versus just someone who is handling maybe compliance. Um, I just feel like this is a—it's just such a nice evolution of maybe those experiences that we've been gaining, partnering and being seen as a true trusted partner of the business, not something separate. And now having hr and the business leaders together you're all focused on this overall impact of the organization it just like, it just makes sense to me know, are you feeling that way I'm, or not or?
2: i i feel that so passionately i mean 20 years ago the fight was how do we get to the table right. if somebody comes to me right now and says how do i in hr get to the table my comment back would probably be to be blunt, you probably will never get there. Yeah, Cause if you're late. asking, you've missed it. And right. that, that, that door is closed. Now the question is, what do I talk about when I'm there?
0: Yeah.
2: And, and I hope the answer is not just talent. Right. I hope it's how do we win in the marketplace? I'll give one other example and I know we're probably going long. Maybe I'll oh, get back on another show. I'm still coveting these knives. I know we got to get uh, you those steak knives there. <laughs> uh, but, but the, uh, I, 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 I I'd love to ask HR people the question, what's the biggest business challenge you face today? What's the biggest business challenge? I've done that in a lot of groups. Here's what I usually find, um, or I'll ask it another way. What's the, Let me do it another way. What's the best thing HR can give an employee? What's the best thing we can give an employee? And And if I listen to the HR world, it's a vision, it's opportunity, it's experience, it's an incentive, it's teamwork, it's relationships belonging. And all of those are true. And in the world of family feud, I think they add up to 40 points out of 100. (laughs) And people go, well, what's missing? You know, what's the magic? The best thing HR can give an employee is a company that wins in the marketplace. If the company doesn't win in the marketplace, there is no vision, values, engagement, incentive, compensation, meaning or purpose. Now, the business roundtable just came out with a proposal about a month ago Profits and purpose, or people, or process, whatever P you want. The word I would change in that three phrase, profits and people, is I'd say profits through people, profits through purpose. Because I think once you see these as deeply connected to each other, that the reason we do employee engagement is to create customer engagement. And that virtuous cycle embellishes both. We're not engaging employees so that they love their job. They love their job and that will in turn create an engaged customer at Disney who loves the experience and they will come back. And, And for me, that's the virtuous HR cycle that we're trying to create with talent, leadership and culture that allows employees to get what they want. I am a true advocate of organization and people because doing that well helps you win in a A customer or financial marketplace, which enables you again to give employees even better opportunities. So that's the that's the logic that we're trying to get out. And uh, and I appreciate folks like you who are saying, wow, that's so helpful and uh, hopefully helpful and and trying to say, now, how does technology scale that? How does technology enable that? Quick caveat on technology. My limited experience, and you have more than me, is most HR people in technology are still trying to use technology either as an efficiency play or an innovation play. Let's do a – Josh Burson has done a brilliant job. There's 2,700 new apps. Uh, There's an app for everything, for facial recognition, for appraisal. My sense is we've got to go beyond the efficiency, and we've got to go beyond the innovation, so that we can source information. How does technology give me information asymmetry that lets me win in the marketplace so that employees have a better experience? And where I hear you guys, we talked briefly before we started, technology needs to go even beyond information that helps me win into connection and relationships that stabilize that victory. Because ultimately organizations are a series of great conversations or stable relationships. When we can use technology to provide information and stable connections and relationships, then we've created an organization that can scale. So that was just an aside on technology that we've been playing with. Yeah, How does Dave, technology move to that next step?
0: Dave, that could be the next book maybe. I mean, I think that's, I there's that. a huge uh, area to explore there. And I to just say one thing before we do let you go, Dave, and we do have to let you go in a minute. Uh, regarding the Disney story. Two things really is one is that can't happen. That Disney princess or Cinderella who came up and and had the interaction with with your grandkids that only happens right when the organization is designed to do that, right? And then when the when the when the strategy and the people and um, their knowledge of their customer, et cetera, is designed to create that great customer moment and and, and wow you and, and wow those kids and and make you forget about the the hassle and the delays and the money, et cetera, et cetera, and create that great experience. It doesn't happen by accident. I guess is my point. And, um, secondly, that was a very emotional story. Trish, I have one more thing. That's a very emotional story, Dave, but you might've gotten just as emotional, Dave, like t- peeling out of your driveway in that new car and tearing up the road. That might've been an emotional moment for you too. I'm just throwing it out there. It could have been.
2: Wow. Now you've just given me a complex <laughs> paradox that the only difference is I feel so much love for the next generation. Oh. And, uh, Having my granddaughter, our granddaughters, look at us and go, "Grandma and Grandpa," so it's not Grandpa. We love you, uh, I guess uh, right. and they don't love us because we have a fancy car. Because <laughs> uh, they love us because Cinderella touched them. Now, I'm. By the way, I'm, we're doing too much with this story, but the vignette is so powerful, uh, and and you're so right. That's not an accident. Disney understands the environment. They know what ten year old girls appreciate. And I loved your comment, Trish. They also know what 16-year-old twins appreciate. And it's not the same thing. And they'll build an internal organization against those experiences. And they know what a 60-year-old grandfather appreciates, uh, which is mostly his granddaughter. So um, anyway, I, I, I think the best is yet to come in HR. I just see so much opportunity. Uh, I get frustrated a little bit when we revisit old stuff. When I see people writing, HR should be invited to the meeting. Oh, come on. I've, we we had that discussion. That was episode number 33.
0: That's right. A long time uh,
2: ago. Long time ago. Let's not, uh, let's move forward. And, and, and sometimes we don't have answers. I confess, I don't yet know what that HR person in a plant in Buenos Aires or manage the country of Peru, I guess I've got Latin America on my mind. I don't know exactly what they do to get the organization better. We're going to work on that. We're going to discover it. Um, and I hope people will join us in some of those studies because that's that's where we hope to go. And I think that's where you obviously hope to go. You yeah. want HR to create the organization that wins in the marketplace. So there's this virtuous cycle uh, between customers, people, performance. And that virtuous cycle is not a cycle, but a spiral. And the spiral continues to get better as we go forward so thank you for the privilege yeah of dave, being thank hard. you so much
1: thank
0: you yeah uh fantastic dave ulrich making his uh, return to the hr happy hour show on his way to a set of steak knives but more importantly the new book reinventing the organization how companies can deliver radically greater value in fast changing markets great read a great challenge as well and an opportunity for hr leaders to think uh not just about talent but about uh bigger things and and Helping the organization succeed. So, thank you again so much, Dave, for joining us. We'll share the link to the book, of course, in the show notes. Uh, Trish, we got to thank our sponsor, People Strategy. Um, do, you need a, do you need HR technology? Well, People Strategy has got it. You need employee benefits, People Strategy has got that too. You need help managing, recruiting, compliance, and performance. You guessed it. Check out People Strategy, all for less than you pay for your payroll today. Learn more at peoplestrategy.com. And remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour wherever you get your podcast. This might be show 400 as you listen. So it's not too late to, to jump in and tell your friends and, and, and get on board with the HR Happy Hour show. So Trish, uh, thanks so much. Great show.
1: I know. I feel like, you know, Dave, every time we have you on, it's of course we, we have a few ideas what we're going to talk about. The conversation always goes in many different directions, which is amazing. So thank you for that. I have literally two pages of notes now of things that it's just sparked in my in my head of what I want to spend more time thinking about. And I hope it does that for the listeners. So thank you sincerely for always being us learning. Um, even with the questions that you ask, I think that's so important the way you do that.
2: Thank you very much. Right. CEO Trish.
0: There you go, Trish. <laughs> All right. That's it for, for me, for Trish McFarlane, for our guest, Dave Ulrich. Thanks so much for listening to the HR happy hour show. We will see you next time. And bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.